You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. So today we're starting a new series. It's called The Five. And the series is going to take us over the next few weeks. Week by week, we're going to go through one of the five solas. And if you are uh, new to church, uh, maybe you've been in church a while, but you've never heard that term before, that's okay. Um, there, is, there was an idea that kind of proliferated in the 16th century during the Re- Reformation. Um, Martin Luther Essentially, when he said, we've had enough of the Catholic Church, there were some ideas that came to surface that he said, hey, we can't, we can't do this anymore, and here's why. And there were five ideas that kind of became foundational for the Protestant Church as far as their, their view of who God is and their faith. And these five ideas, and there's more, but they're five core, they're called the five solas. And the reason they're called the five solas is there's the Latin word solo is alone. And so you don't know, what does that mean, five alones? So let me just read the five statements to you. They are sola gratia, which is grace alone. Sola fide, which is faith alone. Solus Christus, which is Christ alone. Sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. And sola ideo gloria, which is the glory of God alone. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about these foundational ideas and why they're important to us, why they matter to us. These ideas that developed in the 16th century are still applicable to us and for us today. And what does it look like for us? Um, And really, we're also going to be talking about how does that differentiate us from different faiths around the world as well. Um, So I want, this is an idea that you're going to hear over the next few weeks this is a way to help remember these five solas. It's that Christians are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. So these five statements are kind of pillars for the Protestant church in many ways. And so I want, I want to caution you on this too, or, or let you know, I'm not going to be spending the next five weeks trashing the Catholic church, Okay. Um, I know a lot of you are recovering Catholics, and that's good. I'm cool with that. There's no, nothing wrong with that. And there are a lot of people who are attending Catholic churches that are going to heaven. Just because they're Catholic doesn't mean they're not going to heaven. Just like because you're part of Summit doesn't mean you are going to heaven. It is all about a relationship with Jesus Christ. So just understand, uh, this was a separation between the Catholic church and the Protestant churches, but um, that doesn't mean that the Catholic Church is evil. It just means that there's some differences in what we believe. Uh, So we're gonna talk about some of that even over the next few weeks as well. So what is grace? Well, grace is unmerited favor from God. For the purpose of our conversation today, we'll define it as such. It's unmerited favor from God. And let me say this too before we go any further. There's a great book called Grace Alone. It's by Carl Truman. Uh, he is a professor at, uh, at Grove City College, and we're fortunate enough to have him in our region, but he is, um, he's written a number of books that have been impactful for me. But, um, and I don't agree with everything that's in his book. I told the nine o'clock service, uh, if you ever read a book and you agree with everything that's written in the book, it probably means you wrote the book. So I, I don't agree with everything Dr. Truman says in the book, but it's an excellent book if you want to go deeper in this topic. So grace essentially is unmerited favor from God. And the Greek word for grace is charis, and it means essentially uh, that which one grants to another, the action of one who volunteers to do something which he is not bound. So if you do something for someone and it's not required... Think about this. Have you ever been broken down on the side of the road and somebody stopped and helped you? Maybe change a tire or fix a problem with your car? That was grace. They didn't have to do that. They didn't need to do that. They didn't owe you anything. They just decided to be good to you. Have you ever been sitting in a drive-thru and the person in front of you paid for your order and you don't even know who they are? And like, okay, that was unmerited favor. That was grace that was given to you. You didn't deserve it. They didn't owe you, but it was just an unexpected free gift, free blessing. And this is what grace really is for us. Now, let me define a couple terms for you so we can just understand kind of where we're at. Um, Justice would be man gets what he deserves. So um, 
A person commits a crime, they are put on trial, they're found guilty of the crime, and they're sentenced to jail, and they have to go to jail. We would say that's justice. A guilty man is getting what he deserved. Then there's mercy. And mercy is different because mercy says man does not get what he deserves. So a man commits a crime, he's put on trial. Uh, At the trial, the judge says, I could sentence you to this many years in jail, but instead I'm gonna put you on probation. That would be mercy. You deserve this, but you're not getting what you deserve. And then there's grace, which is man gets what he does not deserve. So imagine a man was found, he he committed a crime, went on trial, and at the trial, the judge says, not only am I not gonna put you in jail, I'm gonna give you $100 million. Now, obviously we would go, that's not fair. That doesn't seem right, right? But essentially, this is what Christ has done for us. This is grace. Uh, We were guilty of a crime, not only did we not have to do the, the time for the crime, we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. And not only that, there was mercy because we don't have to pay the debt because Christ paid the debt for us. But we are also awarded heaven along with that. That's what grace is. It's unmerited favor. So let me look at a, a couple of different examples in different religions throughout the world. And for the sake of time today, I wanna start with I'll say Eastern religions, but it's really Buddhism and Hinduism. And we hear a lot about grace in religions all around the world. And the way they define grace is very different from religion to religion. Um, And how it's lived out is different as well. So doctrinally, it might be the same. We might use the same language, but what what it looks like in practice is very different. And when we look at Eastern religions, it's interesting because there's a lot of talk about grace, but what we see over and over and over is that man is still responsible for their own salvation. That if you want to ascend or transcend or reach nirvana, you are responsible for that. You better work harder. And when we talk about things in other religions like, um, like reincarnation, reincarnation is all about you get what you deserve. Okay? Because... This is what reincarnation says, essentially. Um, You live the best life you can live, and if you do, if you do really good, you'll be rewarded and you'll get to ascend to something better in your next life. And the goal is to ascend to a place of nirvana or transcendence or oneness with the universe. But if you're bad, if you are kicking your dog and you are cutting people off in traffic and you're just a jerk to people, then you're probably gonna come back as a dung beetle in your next life. That's how that works. You, you do not ascend, you descend. Why? Because it's Eastern religions say you get what you deserve. This is where karma comes from. Karma and grace are totally incompatible. Now we don't understand karma in our culture the way they do in Eastern cultures, um, but karma essentially says you get what you deserve. So we think about karma and somebody does something bad to us and then they get in a car accident or something bad happens to them and we're like, hey, karma. And what we're saying is you get what you deserve. And and essentially what karma says, good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. So if you want good things to happen, you better be good. Now the Bible does talk about reaping and sowing. There's a principle of reaping and sowing, but that is different than karma. Karma says uh, what you put into the universe is what you get back from the universe. And this stuff sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because it mixes its way in to Christian theology. I talk to people all the time who come to Christian churches and say things like this. Well, I just wanna put good things out there and I know I'll get good things back. I'm like, careful, careful, right? Because we're starting to get into some of this idea. And what we have to understand is grace says you can't earn it. You no matter how good you are, you don't earn a reward. You can't. It's impossible. Islam. Islam, and again, we're going to do a 30,000-foot view on this. We don't have time to get into the weeds. Uh, Islam, essentially, they will teach about grace, and they will talk about the grace of Allah, but what they, <laughs> when they get to the point of judgment, what they will say is it's based on your works and the, the goodness of Allah, the will of Allah. So basically, if your good works outweigh your bad works, if you do more good than bad in the world and Allah wills it, then you'll get to enter paradise. That's, 
That's how that works. So they, they would say they believe in grace, the grace of Allah, but it's still contingent on how much work you do. This is why Muslims are so faithful about praying because they understand that their entrance into paradise is dependent on me praying five times a day. I've got to pray at my regularly times every day. And if I don't, then I'm in trouble. I'm working to earn paradise. Judaism, we're getting a little closer to home now. But Judaism, a lot of people would go, oh, well, Jewish and Christian, it's gonna be pretty closely aligned. There are a lot of common values, a lot of common beliefs. There's gonna be a lot of common threads between the two, and there are in many ways, but in the teaching of grace, it's very, very different. Um, so Jewish people do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah and that he died on the cross for our sins. This is, we deviate there for sure. So their view of a Messiah is that a Messiah is necessary for the nation, for the corporate group of people, but a Messiah isn't really for the individual. That the individual, their means to salvation is through the Torah. That if I will just be faithful to follow the first five books of the Old Testament, is what we know as the Old Testament, they would call the Torah, the first five books. If I just follow the law and I'm obedient to the law, I will earn favor with God and salvation. It's based on their work. Are you, are you a good Jewish boy or girl? Then you will do what the Bible says, what the Torah says. And if you do that, then you can get to heaven. But they don't look at grace the same way we do. Because for us, grace is deeply personal. When I think about what Jesus has done for me, the price he paid on the cross, it is deeply personal. It is, starts with me, the individual, and works its way out. With Jewish people, it's about the nation, and it's less personal to them. It's not as... It's not as, as uh, heartfelt because it's less about them and more about the corporate group. It still comes back to works. Catholicism. Some of you right now, tensed up just a little. I could feel it. Just a little tighter, like what's he gonna say? Well, historically, I mentioned this, the first and second solas, uh, salvation by grace alone through faith alone, uh, were a Protestant reaction to the, the behavior of the church, the Catholic church in the 16th century. And what the Catholic church was doing is they were selling indulgences. And so if you're not sure what that is, that's okay. Uh, what, essentially what was happening is if, if I had a loved one that passed away, they would go to, they would go to purgatory, the spiritual waiting room, okay? And if I wanted to get them out of purgatory to heaven, I could pay the church money to expedite things. This was a spiritual fast pass. Have you ever been to Disney and you pay extra money to cut the line? That's kind of what this was like. It's a spiritual fast pass, okay? And Martin Luther was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So you're telling me you can pay money? And, and, and what he was saying is it feels like it cheapens grace. It feels like it waters down the importance of what Jesus has done. And so... Martin Luther deviates and he goes, no, 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 we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. We can't pay for it, we can't earn it. And he made that, that deviation. Now, the Catholic Church officially would say they believe in this doctrine of grace alone. Uh, but they also will say officially that you can earn grace by your behavior, that there are things you can do to earn grace. This is an official document, so you can find this. Um, so, and just anecdotally, I have met enough Catholic people, and there are enough of you that have Catholic backgrounds that, that I know that, that Catholic guilt is real. Has anybody ever experienced some Catholic guilt? Yeah, some of you are like, I am right now. This moment I am. <laughs> so here's the thing. Um, Catholic guilt is real, and what it stems from most of the time it's related to behavior. Because the Catholic view of grace um, for many people is such that, that they look at grace as, yes, we're saved by grace, but then I also lose, lose my salvation if I commit a mortal sin. So I've got the grace of God, but then if I miss church on a Sunday, it's a mortal sin. And if I die, I'm in trouble. So I better find grace again. So, and again, this is an oversimplification, but essentially it, it, it makes grace very weak. And it's not 
that's not relegated to just Catholics. I grew up in a Pentecostal church where everything that was fun was against the rules. And everything, if I, if I had a moment, if I had a bad thought, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to hell right now. If Jesus comes back after I had that thought, I am doomed because I had an insufficient understanding of grace. And I thought grace was totally dependent on my behavior. If I behave, then I earn grace. Well, what scripture tells us is we cannot earn grace. There's an opposite end of that coin as well, um, that, that grace is weak. There's an opposite end that says grace is extreme, that no matter what you do, grace is big enough, you're fine. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you do. Yes, the, the law is Old Testament. It's Old Covenant. The New Covenant is grace. We're under grace now. Has anybody ever heard that before? Some of you might have said that before. And there's some truth to that. But what happens, the extreme view of that is we get to a place where anything's good because God is love and he's loving and a loving God wouldn't send people to hell because God is full of grace. But I will tell you, hell is real. Heaven is real. God is real. The devil is real. God did not create hell for us, but it is a, it's a consequence of living a life and dying apart from him and apart from his gift of grace that he so freely has given us. Martin Luther actually coined a term called antinomianism and it's a big fancy word. It basically means uh, against the law, anti, against, nomos, law. And there was this view of people who said, hey, the law is old covenant. We don't have to worry about the law and we have free reign. We can do whatever we want. And God is so graceful, graceful he will forgive us. And I'm not exaggerating. I've talked to people in this church since I've been here who have said things like that. I'm not talking about kids or teenagers. I've talked to grown adults that I've called out. We've talked and I've, I've told them, hey, what you're doing is sinful. It's not biblical. It's not godly. And I've had people say, but God will forgive me. Like, whoa, 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 this is dangerous for us to go. Well, I can, I can kind of do whatever. I don't know what's right, not right, but it's dangerous. And it can happen to any of us. Any of us can get to a place where we start going, well, it's not that big a deal. And I, I'm not interested in trashing anybody today. Uh, one of my favorite people in Christian history is Billy Graham. Dr. Billy Graham is someone I have so much respect for, and he has done so much to advance the cause of Christ throughout the world. He appeared on Dr. Robert Schuler's television show, Hour of Power. Does anybody remember Hour of Power? Yeah, the old people. The old people remember. <laughs> That's okay, I'm one of them. So Dr. Robert Shuler had a show called The Hour of Power. It was broadcast nationwide and one of the most popular television shows for years. And he would interview celebrities. He would interview uh, athletes, just different people. And he interviewed Dr. Billy Graham on May 31st, 1997. And I wanna read to you, and you can, you can look this up. You can find the excerpts. I wanna read to you an excerpt from their conversation. This is what Dr. Billy Graham said. Whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world or the Christian world or the non-believing world, they are members of the body of Christ because they've been called by God. They may, uh, they may not even know the name of Jesus, but they know in their hearts that they need something that they don't have. And they turn to the only light that they have. And, they, and I think that they are saved and that they're going to be with us in heaven. I believe that. I've met people in various parts of the world in tribal situations that they have never seen a Bible or heard about a Bible and never heard of Jesus, but they believed in their hearts that there was a God and they tried to live a life that was quite apart from the surrounding community in which they lived. Now this is in alignment with the Catholic Church's teaching on this topic. And you can find this, this is, I wanted to make sure I got this right. This is the uh, Roman Catholic Universal Catechism, page 224, paragraph 847. I'm getting in the weeds here. This is what it says. Those who through no faith, uh, fault of their own, do not own, uh, do not know the gospel of Christ or his church, but who nevertheless seek God with a sincere heart and moved by grace, try in their actions to do his will as they know it through the dictates of their conscience, those two may achieve eternal salvation. So this is 
These are dangerous things to say because essentially what, what Billy Graham has said here and later he, he corrected the course and backed off of this statement to some degree. And what the Catholic Church says is, if you're really sincere and you're following your heart and you're doing the best you can, then God's grace is enough, you're good, essentially. And for some of you, you go, yeah, that feels right. That seems right. Yeah, and it does, because we think, oh, good God, a, a loving God, a just God wouldn't send somebody who's never heard the gospel to hell. But here's the thing. Scripture itself makes it very clear that there is one way to heaven. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said that in John chapter 14, verse six. He says, I am the way. He doesn't say a way. He says, there's lots of different ways to get to heaven. I'm just a way. If you pick me, great. He says, I am the way, the truth. There is no other truth outside of Jesus, the truth and the life. Acts chapter four, I read the, this passage a couple weeks ago in our series on the Holy Spirit. It says, for Jesus, and this is Peter preaching, for Jesus is the one referred to in scriptures where it says the one of the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There's one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. There are not multiple roads. There are not multiple avenues. If we could be sincere enough and good enough, then why in the world would we have the Great Commission? Why would Jesus say, go into all the world and make disciples? If, if it would be enough for them to know Jesus just by being sincere and being good and being moral. What a waste of resources and time. Why would we send missionaries all over the world to, to share the gospel with people if they don't need that, if all they need to do is be moral and good and try hard and be sincere in their heart and follow their conscience, then we're doing them a disservice by presenting them the gospel because now they know what the truth is and they have to either accept it or reject it. They would be far better off if they never even heard. If they never heard about Jesus or the Bible or the good news. And what a waste the cross would be if we didn't need the cross, if we could be good enough in our own strength and our own ability, then the cross is the greatest tragedy in human history. No, I will tell you today, all of us need grace. We all need a savior. So I got bad news for you today. My bad news is this. That was my introduction. Don't worry, we're not gonna be here till three. 3.30. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 is where we're going to start. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. And in verse 2, he says this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So when we refuse to obey God, when we say, I know what God wants and I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to live according to my flesh, my spirit, my conscience, myself, we are, whether we know it or not, in cooperation with the devil. Verse three, all of us used to live that way. I love how he said that. He doesn't say all of you. All of you, you people used to live that way. He says all of us. Love that. All of us used to live that way. Following the passionate, and the word passionate here is hedonistic, selfish desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our very nature by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. What we see here is a universal need for grace. There's a universal need for grace. We all need grace. He's saying all of us. We see this again in the book of Romans. Paul writes to the Roman church in chapter three, verse 23. He says, for everyone, I want everyone in Indiana and Blairsville to say everyone. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned. No one is sinless. You think your grandbaby is sinless. They are not. Notice I didn't say your kids. You know your kids aren't sinless, but your grandbabies have a little halo on them. You just think they were dropped from heaven, right? They're perfect. They're not. I didn't have to teach my daughters to lie. They figured that out on their own. Why? Because we are born with a sin nature. We need a savior for everyone has sinned. Then it goes on to say, we all fall, sh fall short of God's glorious standard. Indiana and Blairsville both say, we all. we all. 
We all, he says, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. He's making it clear, all of us. See, he's talking to the church and he says, everyone has sinned. And it's easy for people in the church to go, yeah, everybody outside, we're good. And then he brings it home and he says, we all fall short. All of us need a savior. Notice what it says in verse 24. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. We fall short. We can't do it in our own strength or ability, but God is good. Goes on to say in verse four of Ephesians two, but God is so rich in mercy that he loved us and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. So here's the situation. We were dead in our sins. We had all sinned. We were all sinners. In the church, outside, we are sinners. And we needed a savior. And God is so rich in mercy that he didn't give us what we deserve. We deserved hell, but he is rich in mercy and said, no, I'm not gonna let that happen. I'm gonna give them an opportunity to experience my grace. It says he loved us so much that even though we were dead in our sins, he gave us life in Christ Jesus because of his grace that that happened. See, this is an unearned gift. It's an unearned gift of grace. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We're not good enough. No matter how good looking you are, you're not good looking enough. No matter how strong you are, not strong enough. No matter how smart you are, there is nothing that you can be enough of to earn the grace of God. If you could, then all of this is for naught. Romans chapter six, Paul talks to the Romans. Chapter six, and he says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Years ago, years ago, Kim and I hadn't been married very long and I had taken a job as a youth pastor at a church and we hadn't started yet and our finances were a little tight and I called and I talked to the pastor and I was like, hey, pastor, uh, so I just wanna find out, when am I get my first paycheck? And he said, after you work? Okay, I just wanna make sure that's how it worked there. That's cool, that's, that makes sense. But in my mind, I was hoping, well, maybe they'll pay me at the front end of this. Like, hey, when we're sure you're gonna work in the next couple of weeks, so we'll just go ahead and give you your money now. That's kind of what I was hoping for. Um, and come to find out, that's not how money works and how grown up life works. They want you to work and then they give you a wage for it. And you work and they go, now we're gonna pay you for the work you gave us, right? And here's what this passage says. The wages of sin is death. So when we live our normal lives according to our standards, according to our conscience, that just how I feel, what I want, my own comfort, my own pleasure, I, I earn something for that. And the, the wage I earn for that kind of living is death. So in my best efforts, I earn death. And then it says the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is again an illustration. We cannot earn the free gift of life. We can't earn that. In our best efforts, what we earn is death. But what Christ gives us through his sacrificial life is a gift. Again, I mentioned charis to you earlier, the word grace, but the word here for free gift in the Greek, it's charisma. It's a favor with which one receives without any merit of its own. It's a free gift. Have you ever met somebody that were really charming and they could get things, they could get people to do things because of their charm, they were charismatic? They didn't earn that, but they gave it to them anyway. Here's the thing, we don't earn the affection of Jesus, the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus. We cannot earn it. Your church attendance cannot earn it. Your good works cannot earn it. Your morality cannot earn it. It is a free gift from God. A few years ago, some of you will remember in 2020, um, we partnered with an organization and we paid off about $1.4 million worth of medical debt for people in Western Pennsylvania. And we didn't know any of them. We just picked counties and said, yeah, we'll do this and this and this. And we went all, all over. There were 12 counties or something like that. 14, I don't remember. But 
we paid off $1.4 million worth of credit, I mean, worth of uh, medical debt. And there were people that had some big debt in there. And there were people that had small. And I, I saw their names and I saw the amount after we had paid it. And of all the people that, that we took care of their medical debt, I got one message saying thank you. Because when the, we paid through a company and the company let them know, hey, here's who's taking care of this for you, we wanna let you know. And this woman wrote and she said, thank you so much. We could have never taken care of that debt on our own. We, it, we were struggling. It was overwhelming. Thank you so much for, for taking care of that debt for us. And I can't help but think that so many of us take the debt that Christ has paid for granted. We just go, great, cool, awesome. And we move along with our normal life. And we fail to recognize the great price that was paid, our inability to take care of that debt on our own. And we've lost our awe of who God is and the price that Christ has paid for us. Because we kind of think we deserve it. I'm kind of a big deal, I'm kind of good. I kind of earned that, I think. But the truth is we haven't. But it's easy for us to think we have. Romans chapter five says this. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Again, Paul says us sinners. We were helpless. I mean, think about a, a baby. Baby can't feed itself, can't take care of itself, can't do anything for itself. This is the picture that Paul's painting here. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Have you ever been on a first date before? You do your best on the first date, don't you? I mean, ladies, come on now. If you want to impress the guy, you're probably going to fix your hair, right? You're probably not just rolling out in your PJs and you're like, oh, whatever. I got this shirt with a stain on it that I got at the company uh, group team building exercise four years ago. This is good enough. No, you're going you're gonna to look nice. You're going to fix your hair. You're going you're gonna to check and see, do I got croutons in my eyes? Do I got spittle? Do I got something on my teeth? You're going to check, right? Because you want to make a good impression. You want that person to like you, so you're going to put your best foot forward. I want to trick them into liking me. That's your goal. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. I'm not going to say all the embarrassing stuff about my life. I'm going to wait for them to hear about that, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to impress these people. And then we're married, and then they find out all the embarrassing stuff. They're like, oh, you do that when you sleep? Ooh. Oh, you don't actually look like that in real life, right? Like, we feel comfortable after we're married because there's acceptance. But here's the thing. Sometimes we come to Christ and we go, oh, I got to put on my best. I got I to gotta make him love me. I've got to earn his affection. That's not the case at all. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners at our very worst, our worst moments. We just rolled out of bed spiritually. Think about the times that you're most ashamed of, the, the thing you're most embarrassed of in your life that you hope nobody ever finds out about. Christ saw you in that moment. And in that moment, he said, you are lovely and beautiful and you're worth dying for. That moment. Not the moment where you showed up and you were all cleaned up and shiny and presentable. That's grace. Ephesians 2, 6 says this. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So because of God's goodness, his grace, he has raised us up. He's given us life when we were dead and he has now seated us with Christ in heavenly realms. This word seated in the Greek, it's sugatiso. And sugatiso means to cause to sit down together, to place together, to, to sit down together. So it's, yeah, I sit down with someone or someone places me with someone. And this word is only used twice in the New Testament. It's used here in Ephesians 2. And it's also used uh, in the story we told a few weeks ago. And a few weeks ago, I told you a story from Luke chapter 22. It's where uh, Jesus has been arrested and Peter is following along. He wants to see what's happening. And so 
Jesus is brought in for trial and there are people that are grouped together in the court or the yard of the high priest. And this is where this word is used, that Peter was seated with them. And so what we're talking about is being grouped together with like. Imagine sorting things out that are different. Like, okay, I'm gonna put the circles together, the squares together, the triangles together. They're sorting exercises. We are seating them with their like. And in this moment, what, what we see in Ephesians 2 is that God is seeding us with Christ. Does that mean we are like Christ, that we're equals with Christ? Absolutely not. But what it is saying is we have access to what Christ has access to. We have authority that Christ gives us because we are seated with him, and yet we live far below that. And again, this is a gift of grace. Ephesians 2, 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of his incredible wealth of grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Um, does anybody, anybody keep trophies when you were a kid? Like you played sports and you had trophies in your room and on your shelves, anybody? Bunch of liars, I know you did, I did. I had trophies, I played soccer when I was a little kid and baseball and basketball and I had all these trophies and it was not because I was a fantastic athlete, it's just because I collected the trophies and I would be able to go, yeah, that one there, I got it. I was on the uh, eight and under co-ed soccer team, spring Mustang 1985, we got third place, it was a big deal. <laughs> I wouldn't actually do that but I kept all these trophies in my room we finally had to clean them out. Um, actually, probably was not too long ago. We cleaned out these boxes of trophies. It's like, what in the world? But I was proud of them when I was a kid because I could look at those trophies and go, look what I did. Look at, look at my accomplishments. And, and this is a crude illustration, but I believe that what this is saying is that we are God's trophies. That God can look and go, oh, look at the grace that was poured out on this guy. Oh man, he was so lost. He was so far from me. He was so broken. Man, look at this, this woman. She was struggling. She was, she was in need. Oh, and look how my grace has caused her to flourish. Look at this, this college student. Look at this teenager. Look at this kid. And he marvels at us. Look at this. Look at what I've done. Verse trophies. Verse eight, God saved you by his grace when you believed. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. God saved you by his grace when you believed. So, not to be confusing, um, but there is a doctrine called Calvinism and we are not Calvinists at our church. Our doctrine is, is different than that. But Calvinism would say, strictly speaking, that our church doesn't believe in sola gratia because we believe in free will. We believe that you can choose to follow Christ and accept the gift of grace or not. And what we see in this passage here, Paul says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And what I believe scripture indicates is that we have a part to play and that part is that we have free will. So we get to receive the gift or not receive the gift. And like I said, um, Calvinists would say that, that when we take any credit for that, that um, it subjugates the, the authority of, of God, uh, his, his will, when we have free will, and really at the end of the day, we're splitting hairs on some things, but what I will tell you is this. I believe we have free will, that we can choose God or not choose God, and that it's his desire that none should perish. That's what it says in 2 Peter 3, 9. So I would say we are saved by grace alone, but we have free will, whether we receive the gift or not. Um... <laughs> Years ago, I've told this story a few years ago, but I had a, a gift. My wife got me a set of, of noise-canceling headphones for Christmas a few years ago. And she is the technophile in our house. I am not. If I have problems with, like, technology, I'm going to, babe, can you fix this? And she does. She enjoys that. I do not. I'm not a tech guy. 
That's why I've never responded to your Facebook message. It's not because I don't like you. It's because I hate Facebook, so I'm not going to get on there. So I got this set of headphones, and I was excited. They're really nice. And I tried them, and I, I couldn't get them to pair. They're Bluetooth with my phone or my iPad. I was like, ah. Oh. And I tried a few times, couldn't get it to work, put it away. A couple months later, tried it again, couldn't get it to work. And so I'm not kidding, a year later, it was the next Christmas. I was like, okay, I'm making, I'm gonna figure this out. So I don't know if you know this, um, I've got a computer and on the computer, it's got something called the Google webs and you can write questions in and it'll tell you the answers for it. So if you don't know how to do something, you can ask it and it'll tell you, it's crazy, you should try it. And so I literally Googled, I Googled, um, how do you pair? And I put the thing in and there was a video that showed you how to do it step by step. And I'm, okay, I should have done this a year ago. So I paired it together. But for a year, I didn't have access to that. I had it. The gift was in my hand. I could have used it any time. It sat on a shelf. It got dusty because I didn't access it. It was a useless gift because I didn't even use it. Now I will say, I learned to appreciate it because about a, well, earlier this year, I was on a trip and I take that with me every time I go on a trip now. And uh, and honestly, I just kind of take it for granted. I throw it in my bag and use it and whatever. So I was on this trip and I, I get on the plane and, uh, and I sit down in my normal, where would be my normal spot on the aisle. I'm an aisle seat guy. And this family files in in the seats next to me across the aisle. It's a mom and a dad and their roughly two-year-old daughter. And, hey, how you doing? Strange pleasantries. And, uh, and she starts being a little fussy. And I said, hey, don't worry. It's, you guys are gonna be more worried about it than we are and it'll be fine because I've been a parent traveling with kids and I know how stressful that is that you don't wanna freak everybody out when you got a crying baby. And so they're, oh, thank you so much. It's like, no problem. And so I put on my noise canceling headphones. I'm good to go. I'm never gonna hear this kid anyway, right? And, and promptly, it was almost on cue as if the, the little girl heard me and decided that was a challenge of some sort. She begins screaming. And I don't mean like a whining, like, mm, she's screaming, like nonstop. And it's, it was almost as if they were pumping lung, uh, oxygen directly into her lungs. She didn't even have to stop for a, like a breath, like, ah, ah, it was just nonstop. It was like a siren, just would not stop going. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not much. We ended up sitting there at the gate for three and a half hours. At the gate, not moving. I watched two movies in that time with my noise-canceling headphones on while I could hear the girl screaming over the noise-canceling headphones. Um, we finally leave. We land, at, we're landing at our destination. It's about a two and a half hour flight. So if you're bad at math, this is almost six hours I've been listening to this girl scream. One minute, no exaggeration, no hyperbole, one minute before landing, the screaming stops. I look over and she's asleep. She's been screaming for six hours. And one minute before landing, she decides, oh, I've had enough of that, I'm good. Oh man, and I know the parents were frazzled, they were frustrated, and I'm sure the daughter was frustrated, but I will be honest with you, everybody sitting within 12 seats and rows of them were also a little frustrated, it was so loud. But in that moment, I will tell you this, the thing that I had taken for granted, I was very grateful for. I had taken these headphones for granted. I'd thrown them in my bag. I'd use them whenever. And in that moment, I was like, oh yeah, what a great gift this is. I'm so glad I had this for the six hours with this little girl while she was screaming. I appreciated the gift like I hadn't before. And here's what happens for so many of us. We just take our faith for granted. We forget how valuable it is and how important it is. We forget the, the impact it has on our lives. We forget how it's changed us, how it's transformed us. And God wants to remind us that that gift has to be received. It doesn't matter if you have the gift, if you don't utilize it, if you don't apply it, it doesn't make any difference. And you get to choose. And there's the ultimate result of grace. And the ultimate result of grace is this, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God's got a plan for you that's better than what you can imagine. There are good things he has for you to be a part of and do that you can't dream of. 
but it begins by saying yes to his free gift, receiving his gift. See, we think we've got to do all these good things to impress Jesus and then he'll love me. No, no, no. Jesus loves you, accepts his free gift, and then he will put you to work. Then he will get you activated. Then he will do all the things that he wants to do in your life if you'll say yes to him. I love it because it says we are his masterpiece. When you think of great artists throughout history, Vincent Van Gogh, uh, Pablo Picasso, whoever it might be, the masters, most of them had a seminal work, something they did that everybody knows them for, Leonardo da Vinci. Everybody knows them for this piece of work. This is what they are known for. This is their masterpiece. And what scripture says is we are his masterpiece. God works in us his grace and then he stands back and goes, wow. Wow, look at this. You are God's masterpiece. But you have to receive his grace. And you have to realize um, Maybe I've been working for God's favor. I've been working to earn grace. Or maybe you're on the opposite end of that and you go, you know what? The law is not applicable to me. I, I've got God's grace. I can do whatever I want. We want to help you with that. I'm going to turn it over to our host in Blairsville. They're going to close out our time. They're going to help you take the next step. Love you guys more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. If you would, I'd love everybody in this place just to bow your head and close your eyes with me. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness. God, thank you for your grace that we take for granted so often and so easily. I pray today you'd remind us of the great price that Christ paid for us. I pray that we would not take your grace for granted. I pray that if there are people here that have never received your free gift of grace, that today we would say yes to you. Whether we've been trying to earn your grace through our work and our behavior, or or maybe we've taken the view that Because we're under grace, we can do whatever we want. That nothing, no law applies to us. I pray that you remind us of who you are. Remind us of the price of grace. And I pray that our hearts would be changed. We'd be drawn to you today. So God, move in us, speak into this place, change us into your image. Now with nobody looking around, your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you'd say to me today, Mel, I know what you described as me. I'm not really walking with God. I'm not in a relationship with God. Maybe you're one of those people you said, I've taken grace for granted. I've cheapened grace because I just feel like I can do whatever I want and ask forgiveness for it. It'll be fine. Or maybe you're somebody you think, I've got to work for it. I've got to be perfect. I've got to behave. I've got to do all these things and then God will love me. I just want you to see today, you don't have to strive. You don't have to earn it. It's a free gift. Maybe you're here and you just say, I know that I need a savior. I need to receive that free gift. I'd love to pray for you. And if you're here today and you recognize, that's me, I need a savior. I, I, I'm one of those people that I need to accept that free gift of grace. I'd love to pray for you. If you wanna be included in that prayer today, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? If you'd say, Mel, pray for me, include me in that prayer. I wanna receive that free gift. Yeah, a couple hands on my left. Thank you. I see you. Who else would say, that's me? Yeah, up in the balcony. I see you. Thanks, buddy. Who else? Yeah, thank you. Up in the balcony. Who else? Yeah, thank you. I see you. On my right. Praise God. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? You say, Mel, pray for me. Include me in that prayer today. All right. Thank you. I see you, sir, on my left. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're gonna pray a prayer today. I'm gonna give you the words to say. We're all gonna say it together, but this is not my prayer. This is your prayer. This is your prayer from your heart to God. I would love for you to pray this prayer with me. So say this out loud. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your one and only son, to be a gift of grace to me. Today, I receive him as my Lord and Savior. And from this moment forward, my life belongs to you. Use me for your glory and help me never go back to my old ways or my old thinking. But from now on, I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Come on, let's go out a round of applause today. Listen, Scripture makes it clear that you are a new creation today. The old is gone and the new has come. It doesn't mean your life is gonna be perfect. It means you still got problems, still got issues. What it means is Christ is with you to navigate you through those problems and issues. And we would love to help you navigate those as well. And so if you made that decision today to rededicate your life to Christ or maybe surrender to Christ for the very first time, we'd love to help you take the next step in your faith journey and help you navigate some of the challenges you're gonna face. Um, if you would take one minute and fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you, uh, fill out the card that, part that says salvation, let us know about your decision. And then when we finish here in just a minute, um, out at our next step table in the lobby, our pastor Todd, our associate pastor, he's standing right back there, wave at us, Todd. Pastor Todd would love to meet with you and talk with you and answer any questions you've got. He'll be there, he'll be available. And if you prefer not to fill out the card, you can also do that digitally by filling out a digital, guest, uh, digital card by texting nine, uh, Summit PA to 94,000. I'll get it right, I promise. Summit PA to 94,000 and select the promise to salvation, fill out our digital card that way and still stop by and let us help you take the next step in your faith journey. Here's what's gonna happen right now. Kendall's gonna lead us in this final song. We're gonna worship together as we sing about God's incredible grace in our lives. And while we're doing that, some of our prayer team, some of our staff is gonna be available to pray with you on either side of this platform. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, no matter what it may be, how big or small, we're here for you. We'd love to pray for you. And uh, maybe after last week, the last few weeks talking about the, the Holy Spirit, you're, you've been praying about the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You wanna pray for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We'd love to pray for you for that. But no matter what your need is, we're here to pray with you today. So why don't you stand to your feet? Let's worship together before we go today, guys. I wanna remind you, before we go, Wednesday, leadership night. Thursday, she is community night. Ladies, join us for that. And uh, we'll see you next weekend. Guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.